Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hello and happy Thursday. Here's why you need to watch today's Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. OpenSea suffering its worst month in over a year and blue chip NFTs like Bored Ape Yacht Club dropping and dropping. Are our NFTs hopes and dreams dead or would the floor prices return with a vengeance? We'll explain why it's happening. Plus, we have a breakdown in the current state of regulation with Ken Arant. We're going to break down what he said and leave you with the key takeaways. Now, do remember, this is your show. Please send us your questions on YouTube, Twitter, and Discord. You know we have producers left, right, and center watching where your curious minds takes you. Now, my name is Elaine Lee, your friendly crypto host and producer at Real Vision. With me today is my man, Ash Bennington, and let's get you straight to the price action. So let's take a look right now at our first chart that we have up definitely the dog days of summer right now with everything basically trading sideways. I like to call it it's growing a right arm. This morning, Bitcoin is trading at roughly at the mid 23 range, which is down about half a percent from yesterday. Ash, what are you seeing in regards to ETH? Definitely the hot cryptocurrency of late with the merge on the horizon. Thanks, Elaine. Looks like it's the same story with Ethereum. Right now, it's trading at around 1800 which, like Bitcoin, is down about a half percent from yesterday, Elaine. Okay, so now I just want to go and move in straight into the today's top story because this is a little bit flat with the prices. So while BTC and ETH continue to trade sideways, the marketplace for NFTs is seemingly collapsing. You've seen the headlines, OpenSea volume sinks. So yesterday, our friends at The Defiant reported that the OpenSea sales volume have sunk to a 13-month low. Now, according to DAF Radar, OpenSea handled only 6.5 million worth of trades. That's actually a huge drop from its peak of 204 million from back in February. And the quote-unquote blue chip NFTs are not immune to this downturn. Floor prices of the Board 8 Yacht Club have dropped by 69% from their peak. Now, Ash, lots to unpack here. But what's your initial reaction to this story? You know, Elaine, I don't have any terribly deep thoughts here except for the obvious one, which is that it's really, really, really difficult to determine the intrinsic value of an investment without internal cash flows. But Elaine, you're one of Real Vision's true NFT degens. I want to hear your take on this. You can't expose us like this, and I'm certainly not the only one. Shout out to the Real Vision DGen group. Now, look, it hurts me to admit this, Ash, but crypto is, look, taking a back seat while macro is on the front line. And NFTs, well, they're just a little bit left behind. But Ash, one of the most frequent questions people still ask me is, are you still buying these JPEGs that you can right-click and save? Look, <laughs> the DGen flipperoo days have calmed down. Yes. Am I pausing and asking myself, where will this project be in a week? Yes. Look, have I sold out a loss? Am I hurt? Hell yeah. But look, have I gotten smarter with my investments? Maybe. But look, it's rough out there and projects have not 
gone to zero. So I'm catching out the folks right now who are here for the long run. Look, prices have significantly dropped. Let's not beat around the bush here. But projects like, you know, your dead fellas, as you can see right here, the world of women, moonbirds and cool cats, their leaders are still with their community. Being in the crypto world, look, you've committed to a 70% volatile asset. And in the world of NFTs, I would say even more so. But look, hey, true, this is truly our first NFT winter. But look, we may be here early, but it's also too early to tell. Okay, Elaine, I've got a follow-up question for you. Hit me, you mentioned hit me. You mentioned some of these projects that you like, Deadfellas, World of Women, Moonbirds, Cool Cats. What is it specifically about those projects that appeals to you? Is it the art? Is it the community? Is it the tech? Is it something else? What is it that you really ultimately connect with here in the projects that you love? Ash, it's definitely always about the community. Look, these questions that you asked right there activate my DYOR mode, and that's do your own research mode. And that's when I pull out my MI5 moves. Look, you got to ask yourselves, are the Discord channels very much alive? Or can you feel and hear a tumbleweed pretty much going across the screen? Are the leaders still vocal on Twitter? Are they regularly hosting Twitter spaces? And look, are they keeping a clear and concise open dialogue with their community. The art, of course, was the instant hook, but what has the project been doing? Say for like since NFT NYC, for example, where our brilliant team was there covering all things uh, NFT related, but that's uh, the important thing. That's when the prices sort of went south. So you sort of take a look and see how their projects are now building out their ecosystem. How are these projects building out in real life experiences? Look, you saw the parties, the access, but also the friendships and the connections that you make. That, I believe, will become value of some uh, uh, sort over time. So, Ash, shall we um, sort of hit to the top stories, if you will, because I can talk about NFTs all day. Let's do it. All right, so let's get to it. Uh, moving away from NFTs, first up is we have US Senator coming for US regulators. Now, the headline that we're sort of looking at is US lawmakers says banks and US regulators are pushing banks to avoid crypto companies. Just yesterday, Coindesk reported that US Senator Pat Toomey has learned from a whistleblower that US regulators are allegedly pushing banks to avoid crypto companies. Now, in the letter directed to acting FDIC, and that stands for Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, Director Martin Grunberg, to me asked the director, quote, um, has any FDIC official or employee instructed, requested or suggested that FDIC regional offices ask banks to refrain from doing business from crypto related companies and or refrain from expanding their relationships with such companies? Ash, um, what do you make of this story, especially since um, Senator Toomey here is arguing that much of this pressure is on legally operating crypto companies who are seemingly acting within the um, laws and regulation. You know, Elaine, this is a really tricky story to comment on. Look, it's Washington. It's an incredibly politicized moment in the history of the country. We have factions and then sub-factions within those factions. We know there are folks in both parties in Washington who are very supportive of, of, of crypto. Senator Toomey, Republican senator from Pennsylvania, is someone who's embraced crypto. And we know there are others, obviously, uh, in different parties who have opposed crypto. This sounds like relatively standard Washington story in the sense that there's a, a series of sort of political issues that are being hashed out 
in the political process. I'm afraid we're just going to have to wait and see how this one shakes out. I think too early to tell, Elaine. Yeah, Ash, anything, anytime when you mention the word Washington, we know it's going to be a long process. Look, it's a complicated one, but it's an important one for us and more on regulation. So stay tuned for our main segment with Hen Harad. But before we get there, a little update on the ETH merge, okay? So this week, um, our friends, oh, hold on. The, the headline that we picked up is a dev predicts exact minute ETH merge will occur. So earlier on this week, uh, Marius van der Huyden, an Ethereum developer, tweeted that he ran a code to pinpoint the exact moment Ethereum's proof of stake beacon chain will merge with its mainnet. Now, we're going to be talking a lot about the merge. And you can see the image right now that with all the calculations, <laughs> it looks pretty cool. But look, we're going to be talking. Oh, and just to point out at the bottom there, you can see it's uh, a little date and a little peak right there. So look, we're going to talk a lot about the merge over the next coming weeks. We're covering the topic every week going forward until the merge occurs with killer guests. But Ash, remind our viewers on just why the merge is such a hot topic of conversation in the crypto community right now. Well, let me take your last question first about why the merge is currently the hot topic of conversation. Well, it's because this is a massive change in the Ethereum blockchain with implications, I think it's fair to say, for the entire constellation of cryptocurrencies. This is about the transition from proof of work to proof of stake. We've talked about this, of course, many times on Real Vision before. Proof of stake is more environmentally friendly. It burns much less electricity. It makes staking possible. You can generate yield in a proof of stake system. Of course, there are still some open questions and not everyone is 100% on board with the idea, but this is definitely a very powerful story. But I want to touch a little bit on the prediction. This prediction that we're talking about here is about Ethereum's total terminal difficulty, also called TTD, also called the difficulty bomb. Obviously, as you can see from the chart that we were looking at there, or rather the screenshot, it's a very technical calculation about mining difficulty of when the last mined block is going to be mined before we transition from proof of work to proof of stake. I know this gets a little bit complicated. It gets a little bit in the weeds about the technology. But what's cool about this here is in a single word, data. It's kind of a metaphor for the level of transparency we see in the cryptocurrency ecosystem from open source distributed networks like Ethereum. With cryptocurrency, there's a vast trail of data that flows off the system. And this is something that's obviously interesting to tech folks. But increasingly, Elaine, it's become interesting to investors who want to find an edge trading these currencies and potentially investing in them in the longer term. Really interesting stuff. Obviously, some technical details there, but truly fascinating, Elaine. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Oh, I love it when the, the geeky act comes out. <laughs> A lot of uh, techie deep dive there, Ash. But shall we move on to the interview that we produced um, this week and move on to our main segment? 
So look, um, as you've seen this week, okay, so pretty much every week, actually, uh, now regulation is coming at us fast and furious. So to dig into the current state of regulation, we have Ken Harad, co-founder and chief operating officer of Salidas Rabs. So let's take a look at the first clip where Ken breaks down how regulation is trying to prevent the next Celsius or Terra Luna collapse. Take a listen. Crypto arose uh, sort of out of the framework of 2008. One of the selling points was this is going to be the most liquid, transparent market in the history of humankind. It turns out in reality, in practice, it hasn't quite unfolded that way. Give us a little bit of a sense for someone who spends their days waiting eyebrow deep in this, how we can find ourselves in this position where the blockchain technology, which has been lauded for its transparency, has not delivered that transparency in practice. Right, you know what, I, I'm, I'm happy to answer that, but first of all, a really important reminder I, I keep reminding myself of, and I think is important is that it's not like there's less risk in traditional finance necessarily. Uh, you know, uh, yeah. market manipulation, fraud, hacks, uh, you know, all of these issues, you know, uh, you know exist in, in significantly larger number in traditional finance. You know, when we think about money laundering and the, uh, 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 you know, tornado, tornado mixer and the sanctions against it, uh, you know, Co compliance experts in traditional finance say that only 3% of money laundering in US dollars is ever identified. So just to say we have an issue here, there's a higher proportion in crypto because it's new for the reasons I mentioned, but uh, you know, it's not just crypto that's risky and uh, financial collapse has happened in traditional finance way before crypto uh, and we know that. So yeah. uh, you know, first of all, just really important uh, to remember that. Now, you know, uh, we often find ourselves as a company that helps other companies deal with risk, very much in the middle between the industry and regulators. And we are, full, you know, we're very crypto native, very committed to this industry. We're we're here for the long run because we believe in it. But I find that oftentimes, uh, you know, uh, there's a strong degree of uh, libertarianism, a sort of an antagonism towards regulation. Uh, and I would say maybe it's even it's fair to say at this point overconfidence, like you said. Uh, you know, we talk. A lot of transparency, uh, a lot of, uh, you know, we talk as if we've already solved some of the problems, while in fact, we're, we've proposed a very effective way of uh, potentially solving them, but there's still a lot that needs to be proven. Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, we're, you know, we're, uh, you know, I think, again, that the industry has recognized this. Uh, if, you know, as late as 2018, you still had CEOs of major crypto exchanges say things like crypto traders don't care about market manipulation, you wouldn't hear anyone say that today because the recognition that not that the fact that we use blockchain and that finance you know can be decentralized now um you know doesn't mean that we automatically solve this problem and we have a lot to prove um you know i think and again i'm going back to the triangle i mentioned earlier you know uh there's a ton of opportunity here and a lot of excitement and uh, the industry believes in this but but that also gives opportunity to uh push forward projects very quickly uh, gain a lot of, uh, you know, uh, traction, confidence, and coverage uh, without necessarily answering questions. I think Terra is a really great example for that. Um, you know, uh, a, 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 an algorithmic stablecoin is a super compelling idea. It's brilliant. But, you know, taking so much money in and talking, you know, a lot about how safe it is and how better it is, uh, you know, and obviously there are other examples like Celsius, uh, you know, uh, is, you know, without having battle tested it without 
having had the long and sometimes painstaking dialogue with regulators, uh, you know, uh, is is risky. And it's really important that as we remind everyone that uh, all of the potential, because there is potential to make finance better here, there is even potential to make it safer. Regulators recognize that. But as we uh, brandish all of this potential, all of these beautiful merits, we also need to emphasize that it's still risky. Um, and no less that we're working very hard as an industry and with regulators to address those risks. All right, so Ash, you heard Hen talk there, lots of things keeping him up at night. What, what do you make about any warning messages from that? Yeah, so what I'm asking Hen here is about where we are in the space right now, which is about really the, the promise that we heard about in crypto, which is the most liquid and transparent markets in the world. And I'm asking this specifically in the wake of the Terra collapse and, of course, the collapse of and, and hacks of other protocols. By the way, Elaine, Bitcoiners are saying, I told you so, and they were right about some of these protocols, we should say. So Ken says he's positioned in a unique spot to observe all of this between the projects themselves on the one hand and the regulators on the other. And I think it's right. He's right about that. It is kind of a unique perch that he has. So, so okay, what does he actually tell us here? In his view, uh, this is what happens when protocols haven't been battle tested, meaning used in production to expose their own weaknesses. And interestingly, in his view, when protocols haven't been talked through with their regulators, which is a kind of an interesting view and not something you generally hear a lot about in the crypto space, which touches on the next point here, which I found really interesting, which is his view of libertarianism in the cryptocurrency world. I think as Hen is using this word, he means uh, the distrust of regulation in the crypto space. That's a view that certainly many folks in this industry hold. I think Hen provides an interesting counterpoint here, a kind of a middle ground where he seeks to preserve the openness and decentralization of cryptocurrency on the one hand, but within a regulatory framework. We're going to see more of that, Elaine, in the clips that follow. All right, Ash, look, what I'm hearing is dialogue, dialogue, dialogue. And this is what this show is all about. So here, um, Hen breaks down the variation of various risks associated with crypto, as well as how both investors and regulators are only just learning about the risk inherent to the space. Take a listen at our next clip. There are a lot of different uh, facets of risk. You know, for example, uh, cyber risk is, uh, you know, is a particular field of risk that pertains to uh, potential hacks, uh, you know, the ability to infiltrate systems, data privacy. Uh, there's legal risk, right? Uh, you know, are you or are you not, uh, a, you know, complying with regulations? That's legal on the regulatory side. And there's also just, you know, are you opening yourself to lawsuits, which is another kind of legal risk. Uh, there's also just the risk of losing money. Right, that's just the, the the inherent risk of trading. For example, there's there you know in every big trading firm there's a risk department, and part of what they do is also calculate the level of risks um, and you know whether it, it fits with that organization's uh, policy. So risk falls into many many uh, areas. Yeah. Uh, oftentimes, when people say risk in crypto, really what they you know the the the, the meaning is mostly potential crime, fraud and concerns of that sort. Uh, that in itself divides into a lot of different elements. Uh, market manipulation pertains to, uh, you know, uh, inflating and reduce, uh, inflating and uh, diminishing, vo manipulating volumes and price, for example. AML pertains to the fact that you might service someone who is trying to launder uh, essentially white, white and money uh, that was earned in, in the wrong way. Fraud, phishing, hacking, and stuff like that. So even within the area of, of risk and compliance, uh, right. criminal risk, there's there's a lot of different divisions. 
Yeah, and interestingly enough, they also fall into different domains in terms of the types of people who identify them. For example, you have risk that is purely technological based around uh, underlying vulnerabilities in the code. You have risk, you're talking about legal risk with things like AML, KYC. Uh, and then you have obviously the financial risk or the price risk. Uh, all of right. these very different categories and dealt with from a very different perspective. You wouldn't want a software engineer uh, to be trying to you know, maybe make determinations about price fluctuations, and you probably uh, wouldn't want the uh, trader looking uh, to do code audits. So it, it really is uh, one of the challenges of this space is how much complexity and how much sort of diversity in terms of the intellectual things you need to understand are crammed in to one sort of narrow field. And guess what? If any one of those things goes wrong, it could be catastrophic. Yes, and I think that again, the, the Terra moment was really powerful because it demonstrated the beginning of how catastrophic it could become. And you know, there are also elements of risk we don't often think about. For example, when we think about the ETH merge that's coming up, uh, I just saw a tweet that uh, the final date is September 15th or 16th, although we'll wait and see. Um, you know, obviously, it's a, it's a, there are a lot of technical questions. It's about efficiency, but it really addresses environmental risk associated with ETH, for example, and the, the, the risk of inefficiency. So basically, anything can be uh, evaluated through the, element of through the angle of risk. Um, but yes, usually uh, when people say risk, they refer... Uh, you know, to to those issues. And I think one thing we're understanding better and better as an industry is that complexity in itself is risk. Uh, right. Or at least complexity where there are no tools in place, uh, tools and rules in order to help the people who need to engage with that service understand it. And again, I go back to 2008 where you really have an example, everyone who involved, the regulators didn't understand the risk, uh, the, the investors didn't understand the risk, consumers definitely didn't understand the risk. There's always the question of, did they not understand or did they prefer not to think about it? But hmm. the more complex risk is, the easier it is to miss it or say that you missed it, right? So again, complexity is risk. Um, in our work in risk, we do everything we can in order to simplify. First of all, through technology, uh, you know, there are crypto, part of the reason the risk is so high, as you said, is that crypto introduces uh, a multiplicity of uh, new, uh, you know, realities for trading and financial services, and those introduce you know, many, many new threats, a world of new threats. Uh, there are ways to address them through crypto native solutions and systems. Uh, and, and uh, you know, companies like us, like ours is working very closely with the industry and regulators on that. Uh, but then there's also, uh, you know, there are other ways to mitigate risk and those have to do more with rules about transparency and regulation. And that's a lot of where the regulatory discussion is now, which also is all about risk. All right, so he is listing out all the different risks that you would face here. So I feel like, Ash, Ken is someone like a friend that you'd want to go on a camping trip with because he's looking out for all the danger potholes that you can fall into. So just rewatching that clip, is that what you make of it? Yeah, for me, Elaine, this clip is all about the taxonomy of risk, the classification of different types of risk. Hen talks about cyber risk, technological vulnerabilities in the code itself, criminal risks. This, of course, is frauds and scams, which we know from yesterday are both classified differently by the way Chainalysis tracks them. Civil liability risk, the risk of getting sued, regulatory risk, AML, KYC. This is anti-money laundering, know your client, as anyone who worked has worked at a bank knows. Market risk, obviously the risk of price fluctuating. Market manipulation risk, the risk that bad actors will do things to manipulate the market. You know, in that clip, I talked about some of the challenges in a different way of risk by role. Coders who look at test risk, test 
tech risk, lawyers who look at legal, regulatory, and compliance risk, market professionals, obviously, who look at market risk. There's a lot of people here, Elaine, who need to do a lot of things, and they all have to go right for there not to be failures of these protocols. Hen said something in this piece that I thought was almost profound, something that reminded me of the 2007-2008 crisis in traditional markets, and talking about this idea of complexity itself being a risk. Now, I know that can sound kind of a little bit meta here. It's almost like the risk of risk when risk is invisible or just too complicated for people to understand. And obviously, we have a lot of complexity in this space, Elaine. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ash, well done. That's a lot of risk that we have to look out for. I think that's the, the message that we're trying to get across. Sure here. is. All right. So um, I want to move on to uh, the last nugget of the day. So let's listen in as Ken explains why risks are built into the new ecosystem, um, like in decentralized finance, and how regular, oh my goodness, and how regulators are trying to mitigate those risks. You asked me earlier, what are some of the biggest risks? That is a really big point of risk. If you are looking to decentralize, disintermediate financial services, meaning that anyone can access them without having to go through a regulated entity, uh, then you need to understand how do, you, how do you reduce the complexity of understanding the risks associated with them. Clearly, just putting out a white paper is, you know, on paper might be enough, but in practice, it isn't. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and, and that's true, by the way, in, in a lot of places. I mean, uh, like all of the terms and conditions uh, agreements we sign and don't actually are not actually able to read, but at least, but you know, but in those cases, those are usually regulated companies that would actually have to deal with the regulators if they, you know, did something wrong, misrepresent. Um, so simplifying that is critical. When we say, you know, uh, our mission is to mitigate, is to enable the potential of crypto by mitigating the risks. So one of the biggest potentials of crypto is in improving accessibility, right? Creating financial services that are available from any phone to the billions in the world who currently are unbanked and don't have access to it, even in America. But is it actually accessible if, as you use that financial service, which you can use easily, someone uh, through market manipulation cuts 20% off the bottom or 20% off the top? Or, uh, you know, in another scenario, if the whole service collapses and people lose their savings, is that accessibility? Mm. I don't think so. Um, and, uh, so, you know, it's, it's our goal to, to make access, to make accessibility really you also have to make it safe for the people who are going to use it. Um, yeah. So let me ask you this. We talked a little bit at the top of the show about this idea of some of the legislative changes, regulatory changes. What does the response mechanism look like? Obviously we've seen a lot of fallout from Terra, from Celsius, from other well-known protocols that have had these challenges. What is the potential risk from the, from the, I guess, from the medicine rather than from the disease? In other words, if regulators uh, and legislators come and enact uh, regulations and legislation, what are some of the challenges that that may pose to the space? Yeah, so that would have been my next point uh, in response to your former question, because that is a huge risk from the ecosystem perspective. 
And I think that uh, uh, this week's tornado cash sanctions are a perfect example. Uh, regulators are concerned. They're seeing illicit money going into that mixer and going out, and they use the tools they currently have, which is, is in this case, sanctioning it. Um, does it actually solve the problem? You know, no, because anyone could copy the code and start another mixer if the liquidity goes there. And also people are still using it. So, and it doesn't solve the problem because those old enforcement tools, you know, don't really apply, but they, they're, they're, they do help from the regulatory angle sometimes because they, 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 uh, uh, they, uh, you know, they intimidate people who might want to use crypto for illicit activities. So, but, you know, you also saw the crypto industry's response talking about how overbearing it is, how it doesn't solve the problem. So we're, as an industry, at the moment, we're under a lot of risk of uh, a, a stringent regulation that will actually stymie the merits, the potential of decentralization and crypto. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's also hard to blame regulators because they see what's going on uh, when, they, when they're not involved enough, right? And by the way, they're also under pressure from their bosses and from the people, right, to do something. Um, so that risk of um, over-prescriptive, uh, you know, not forward-looking regulation and legislation uh, and enforcement that would limit the potential of crypto and, and basically pull out some of the most beautiful things about it, like accessibility, like decentralization, is a huge risk. To address it, uh, you know, we as an industry have to work with regulators and do our best to help them uh, put in uh, a, a constructive regulation. There's a lot of work being done on it um, by us and many others. I'm happy to elaborate on it. But, uh, you know, in terms of what the industry needs to focus on, it's that. And you're seeing leaders across the board, uh, you know, from Jeremy Allaire at Circle right after uh, the tornado cash sanctions, you know, to the Crypto Market Integrity Coalition, which we founded with uh, Coinbase and uh, Circle and, and at this point, 38 other organizations. There's a real effort because we under, everyone understands this risk. Uh, all of this potential will not be manifested, and it would be a shame if it happens because regulators didn't know how to properly regulate it. I'll also just say that it's really important for me not to look at, people tend to sometimes look at regulators as the bad guys here. It's not right. the case. They are people whose job is to protect people, um, and they, you know, they're afraid of making a mistake that would cost a lot of money to other people. So, and they really are committed to understanding this. Regulators really are committed to understanding this industry better in order to provide those solutions. You see that in some of the recent legislation put forth. You know, Ash, I've got to say, this all sounds very overwhelming for the crypto industry as a whole. But, you know, just watching uh, shows this week and just listening in and tuning in on the discussions, risk and regulation is ramping up. And the commitment there from legislators and the community and the need to work hand in hand and alongside each other, that's happening right now, right this second, all in the background. Do you see that? Well, you know, Elaine, this is a continuation of Ken's earlier point. He began today, I believe, by talking about accessibility. You can feel he has a real passion for accessibility. He's talking here about providing services, particularly financial services, to the unbanked and to a very broad array of individuals. Uh, and to make something truly accessible, Hen says, and I think this is really a key point, you need to make it safe. Uh, and then 
there's this other aspect of it, which is conversely the risk of regulators, in Hen's view, doing the wrong things to attempt to make crypto safe. Hen calls it over-prescriptive legislation. As he says, you don't want to destroy what's beautiful about crypto. What, what, what does he mean there? What's that? What is it that's beautiful about crypto? Well, the answer that he gives repeatedly is anything that damages the openness, accessibility, and decentralization of crypto has the potential to damage that beauty. So you can you can see here as he hashes through these issues, I think, just how narrow a needle crypto regulators and regulators in general need to thread in this space to get everything right in crypto and to build this regulatory infrastructure in the space that we need to develop these financial services truly for the 21st century, Elaine. All right, Ash, so there's a lot of valuable information there and beautifully put. I love the way how you break it down, as always, so simply, Ash. But look, here is my key takeaways, because I produced this interview with you. I sat in there with you for half an hour. So the key takeaways I got from this interview is that, look, going forward, for every company or crypto arm of the business need to grow and excel with risk and regulation as you know top priority. Look, it's not the fun stuff. It's not the sexy stuff, but it is single-handedly one of the most important factors going forward for a decentralized finance system to work. This stuff will take time, but things are being worked out across the world. Digital assets, look, are here to stay because authorities, you can see, are creating more dedicated branches of governmental arms to it. But you heard our guest say, and I heard you repeat it, Ash, complexity is a risk within itself. That's the message. The players involved from regulators and investors need to be on the same page. And that is so complicated from, you know, never mind the intersections with NFTs and values, but, you know, legality and finance and the tech side. It is a huge picture for us to break down and understand. But the scariest part is when consumers will get hurt most if this stuff doesn't get ironed out. There'll be a point when leaders have to ask themselves, well, just how much risk are you willing to take? Now, we do have to Move on to a part of the show where we take on viewers' questions, where we're watching you ask all the good stuff. So Paul E. Um, from the RV website, we picked up that um, he wants to ask, if the Celsius and Voyager depositors are considered unsecured creditors, could the customers who withdrew their funds within 90 days of the bankruptcy petition date be subject to clawbacks for preference payments under Section 547 of the bankruptcy code? That's a difficult one, Ash. Paul, that's a, that's a great question. What Paul's asking here uh, is whether if you took your money out of one of these protocols, are you potentially as a, as a depositor going to be subject to clawbacks? Meaning, could you get sued and have some of the money that you took out prior to the bankruptcy uh, actually wind up in federal court uh, arguing for why you should keep your funds? Obviously, as you said, Elaine, this is a very sophisticated question. Uh, generally, when someone asks a, a question and they cite chapter and verse of the U.S. Code, uh, Section 547 here in this case, uh, I usually feel like I'm over my skis and they're probably a lot smarter about this than I am. But look, here's the here's the general point that the 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 thing that I think is really most important, the core of uh, of Paul's question here, which is that these are still unsettled questions. You know, if you if you deposit money 
in a bank, say a small uh, small town uh, savings and loan somewhere. And in the event of an insolvency, uh, you're not a general creditor. You're a depositor. There's FDIC. There's a very well-established process where they call resolution of these issues. Uh, when you're here in the crypto space, and I think this really cuts to the, the very heart of Paul's question, we're in terra incognita. We're in completely unknown ground. You know, could depositors who withdrew their funds uh, within 90 days of the bankruptcy be subject to legal proceedings themselves to claw back some of their own money? We don't know. It, it, you know, this is really the challenge here with dealing with the, these sort of very novel uh, services in financial services, particularly. You know, as we've said many times on the show, technology moves a lot faster than the law. We're going to have to wait and see. By the way, one final point here, Paul. Uh, when I saw your question, I instinctively thought about the Lehman Brothers bankruptcy, which in many ways is kind of the the benchmark for complexity in bankruptcy to see if I could figure out when those claims were finally settled. I did a little bit of Googling here, and it looks like uh, the last the last uh, payment was being made under the bankruptcy agreement in December of 2021. Why does that matter? Because it gives you an index of just how complicated some of these workouts can be in the event of complex bankruptcies, Elaine. Wow, well, there you go, Paul. And if Paul is coming to us on the platform, you know he has the real vision high of mind to be asking those kind of questions. Definitely a real visionary at heart. All right, now um, I'm getting another question coming in. And do excuse me because I haven't taken a look at this question <laughs> ahead of time. Uh, but this one comes from LinkedIn, who's probably secretly uh, working and watching at the same time, Kiwa Manu. And uh, they asked, so we need to have a better architecture framework around regulations, use cases in cryptocurrency regarding KYC, AML, as well as financial services. You know, I think that's exactly right. Uh, KYC, of course, is know your customer. AML is anti-money laundering. We've talked about this before. These are just the traditional frameworks that are used, to, uh, the laws that are applied uh, to banks and other financial institutions. But I would also say, Kiwa, that while that's absolutely correct, you know, there are also a lot of other issues. You've just touched on one of them. Uh, we were talking here a little bit off camera about a story that's developing right now. Brian Armstrong, the CEO uh, over at Coinbase, has been engaged in a conversation uh, on Twitter over the last day or so about what happens uh, when there's an OFAC violation, for example, with crypto staking, particularly here in Ethereum at stake with uh, the after the post-merge framework for Ethereum. And the question that's being debated is, would you censor individual transactions or would you effectively just shut down the protocol? It seems from the answer that uh, Brian Armstrong gave on Twitter that he would incline toward more shutting down the protocol, but he said that he'd like to explore other potential and option C, I think he called it, which is the idea of exploring uh, legal challenges to it. The point here, Kiwa, is you're absolutely correct. I do believe we're going to need to see how AML KYC is going to be applied in the crypto space. But there are also a lot of other questions. Paul's, for example, uh, that we just touched on before that. It's a whole panoply of open questions, Elaine. Well, there you go, Kiwa. Definitely keeping up with the latest. And uh, look, as Ash, as much as I love hanging out with you all day, I'm afraid I'm going to have to wrap up. And that's it for today's show. But before I let you go, tomorrow we have a truly epic conversation dropping with Rao and Balaji Srinivasan. Look, I'm going to tell you about this one. OK, so in meetings that we have at Real Vision all week, it is three hours long that they sat down for. So it's packed full of brilliant insights that only crazies like us at Real Vision is willing to deliver. I'm not sure how much of that is going out, but definitely expect a full shebang 
from Rao. Um, so start asking about it, start tweeting to him about it, about what's to come for tomorrow to celebrate our Friday. So check it out tomorrow, Rao Powell Adventures in Crypto. And we'll see you next week right here at Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. Oh, 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 oh,